Now, the last episode, we looked into governance. And we looked into the categories of the two governance, the primary governance and the secondary governance. We recognize that the primary governance is the duty of trustees, which is legal. And there are four major areas that the primary governance seeks to look into, which is a duty of care, a charge upon them. Then, of course, we saw that secondary governance comprises the spiritual trustees, who are the leaders of um, the segments in the church, beginning from the pastoral, the pastor's board, and the elder's board, down the line to the workers and the rest of the members. Now, we recognize, therefore, that one of the key reasons why <clears throat> churches do not grow is because of bad governance or bad structure. Now, we saw in that lecture how good governance over a good structure can make life easy for the minister who is in charge. And also, it will cause the church to naturally grow by itself. Now, we ended up that area by looking into the streams of spiritual administration and the streams of the um, management, the, 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 the office administration. And what every church should have or should eventually progress into. Some of the churches now may not have those things in place, but it's good for the structure to be in place <coughs> so that you grow into the structure. This time I want to zero in into your person as a minister. Now, we look at meetings, how to conduct meetings. We look at discipline of the altar, how to raise leaders from nobody. Now, ministerial induction. Ministerial induction, the concept I have about ministerial induction is this. Ordination is different from induction. Ordination is you appoint somebody, you ordain them, they could, they, if they are in a church, according to the book of Acts 13, they are associates. For in the church of Antioch were teachers and prophets, but they were in the church. These people were ordained. If somebody is not ordained by another person laying hands on you, if you bear the name of pastor, prophet, apostle, teacher, and uh, evangelist, you just repent. Because you are not. I was going to teach you about ordination uh, you know, of priesthood, which I believe every, every Bible student knows that, and ministers should know that. Jesus was ordained by the Father. Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth and how he went about doing good. God anointed him. So he was anointed, which means he was ordained for the purpose that he served. And we see in the book of Acts chapter 13, the Bible says in the verse 1, in the church of Antioch, we are prophets and teachers, and he mentioned Niger and the rest of them. And he said, while we are worshipping and praying, the Holy Spirit said, separate from me Paul and Barnabas for the work for which I have sent them. Then the Bible says further that, after they have fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, ordination, and sent them forth. That is the reason why they were successful. Very, very successful. Now, after somebody has been ordained, you are ordained to serve in the church. You are not ordained to be sent out. 
But when the time will come that you have to be sent out, you have to be inducted. Now, in this church, every parish of CFT church, when that parish is opened, my administrators will give to the pastor what we call branch park. That branch park contains duties of the pastor and what is expected of the pastor. In the area of administration, we have what we call financial regulation. The financial regulation is quite very voluminous. which talks about how you conduct offering, when offering is collected by ushers, how that offering should be brought together to the front of the church, how the leaders of God in the household must carry the offering to the altar and at the view of two people. If you look at every one of you who have come from branches, you will, I want to look at what entails in the, in the headquarters and just do it. When they bring the offering to this altar, you will see the elders who carry the offering standing this way. Doesn't matter how many number they are. You will see two people standing behind them. They will lead, lead them to the altar <coughs> behind them. And when they get to the altar, by the time you want to pray, they will turn their face to the church with their eyes open. They don't close their eyes. We have had issues that people burst into the church and took offering and ran out of the church. And these guys are the protocols. I told you they are militarily trained, trained to apprehend people without using force more than necessary by law. And once you finish praying, those guys, their job is to watch, not to pray. They will turn the other way. Why those who carry the offering will go, the first in the front will be in the front, and the other one will be at the back. Before their eyes, they will put the money into one central post. Their job is to watch. So that we have done all due diligence that nobody steals the money. It doesn't matter how angelic those who carry the money are. This is due diligence. Alright? And after they have put the money into the right place, they will escort those who carry the money. Because the job of those people is not to touch the money. And they will put it in a proper safe. And the key of that safe will be given back to the treasurer. Under their watch. We take that money into... Uh, they say those who count the money will come. And when they come to take the money, we have some heads of protocols who are with them. Their own job there is to watch. And we have camera in the room where the money is kept. So that everybody who is working there is recorded live. And as they count it, one person counts a particular money, another person recounts it. And in their book they will write, counted by, verified by, and approved by. The one who approves the whole money, each money is counted and recounted to make sure it's correct. And that goes to all the arms of the money. Then the one who approves the money is watching all the counting and recounting, and he will sign the money approved. As the money is counted, it is banked instantly before the eyes of everybody, so it cannot be unsealed. It is put in the bank seal and sealed. If you touch that seal, the bank will know it because it is not paper, it is plastic seal. And then they will put it in the safe again under the view of camera and under the view of, of uh, the observer. And then the following day, 
the one who will take you to bank will come. The one who takes you to bank, now we have recorded the money, we have banked the money. His job is just to carry the bank and put it in the bank. No one under heaven can accuse Apostle Alfred Williams of money and embezzlement because I do not see the money when it's collected. I do not see it when it's counted. I do not see it when it's banked. But if anybody will draw any penny in this church, it will go through my cross-examination. Money can never go out without my approval. Because I am the one who has the fiduciary duty, and I will take you there to that in a minute. This is how CFT has been from the beginning. So it's not something we are doing now. We only did it from the beginning according to the scripture. But where we grew now, we discovered that what we are doing is even the law. I would get that. The second thing about CFT finances is that whatever department you are, or whoever, you know, we've, we've given um, authority to various levels of authority and allocated an amount of capacity of funds that they can, you know, request or, or approve. So, but when they want any material, they will fill what is called requisition form that I want to apply to buy a microphone. And then they will give it to the head of the department who will approve that fund. Then they will bring that fund. If it is a lower capacity, I have, I have put in place various authorities that can approve those things. Because all operations come to me at the end of the month. And if it is beyond that capacity of spending, they have to revert to me for approval. Now, the rule is this. Either I approve or you approve. You must first certify that the uh, commodity to be purchased is right and purposeful. You cannot put money in a commodity that is a waste or unnecessary. And when they bring in invoice, we must now make sure that that invoice is kept serially according to date by the office. So that at the end of the month, formerly we had our, our internal accounting that we employed a staff. But after some time, it was, the job was getting beyond the staff. So we now subcontracted our accounting to an external accountant who was recommended by our auditor. The external accountant will come to this place once in a month. And we found out that it's even cheaper than paying a staff. And so we save money there. Plus, his report is more powerful than our staff because he's a registered auditor. He will come in once in a month. He will ask for all our bank stubs. He will ask for all our, you know, um, invoices. Then he will check the procedure by which we procured, whether we are compliant. Okay? He will do spot checks. That he can pick up one and he will ask for procedure. Pick another thing, ask for the procedure. So that in the procedure is approved, they have invoices, he can see it, he will post everything into Sage and he will reconcile the accounts. And at the end of that, he will print reports, accounting reports, which he will give to me, he will give the auditor, all the trustees, every month. If there are queries, he will send the query to all the trustees every month and will get the query answered. Haven't we done all this on a monthly basis? Then, by the time we get to the end of the year, an external auditor comes to auditors, we have no problem. 
I wanted Pastor Pastor uh, 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 um, Pastor Tayo to read to you our trustees' report for the year, but he's not here now. Okay, his enemy is come. Do you have it with you? Good. So I want Pastor Tayo to read to you our trustees' report of the year. Now, what I want to get you to understand. <clears throat> he may not read everything, but he will read up to about five minutes. What I want to get to understand is that church is not a play. A man that had a church, his head must be hot. The Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 2, the, uh, chapter 4, they look for every way to cut Daniel. In the God the law, they found nothing. Are we together now? Church is not just spiritual. It's human too. It's people management. And it's law too. Are we together now? All the issue of pedicards, making acquisition, you know, approving it, and making sure that you have all the backing documents in it. We do that. I also cannot sign money out of this church alone. Neither could I and my wife do so. So what we do therefore is we do two-tier system of accounts of, of, of uh, banking signatories, category A and category B. In category A, myself, Pastor uh, Tayo, and uh, Mommy is there, so that if I'm not in, Pastor Tayo is not in, and they have agreed to spend some money, she can also sign on my behalf. But both of us, myself, herself, and Pastor Tayo cannot sign a check. It will not be honored. Because we are all in category A. Then we have category B. Pastor Adisa, Pastor Sydney, and one other person. So that for any check to be signed out, if I'm in, I must approve every money to be signed out. But if I'm not in, the next person is Pastor Tayo, who must approve every money to be signed out. If myself and him is not in, then that is when we can come into some accounts, not all the accounts. And he and Pastor Sidney, we have to counter-approve. We will not sign any check if we did not see the invoice. To sign a check means that you approve of the, of the money. If you approve of the money and that money is found to be fraudulent, you are the first fraud. Are you with me now? Now, this system is the system established for Christ's faith tabernacle financial management. Pastor, can you come and please read us part of your last trustee, trustee uh, report? Praise the Lord. Oh, I'll read some of the trustees' reports. I don't need my glasses to read. Okay, this is uh, the trustees' annual report for the last accounts that we had, which was for the year ended 30th of June, 2015. I'll just read that The trustees present their annual report on the audited financial statements for the year ended 30 June 2015. This report is the director's report as required by section 417 
of the Companies Act 2006 and a trustee's annual report as required under Part 8. I want to listen to what is written now. He said this report is what? Is a director's report as yes. required by Section 417 of the Companies Act. According to Section 4, are you a lawyer? No, sir. <laughs> and you wrote this. Continue. Of the Companies Act 2006 and a trustee's annual report as required under Part 8 of the Charities Act 2011. The trustees confirmed that the financial statements comply with the requirements of the company's government documents, the statement of recommended practice, accounting and reporting by Charities SOP 2005, issued in March 2005 and revised in May 2008, and the Companies Act 2006. Structure, Governance and Management Government Documents Christway Tabernacle International was incorporated and registered as a charitable company on the 3rd of June 2004 and is limited by guarantee. The government document is a memorandum and articles of association dated the 4th of May 2004. Christway Tabernacle International was registered as a charity on 31st August 2004. Recruitment and appointment of trustees. The board of trustees consists of at least three and not more than nine individuals, all of whom volume please. All of whom must be members. One third of the trustees must retire at each annual general meeting. Those longest in office retiring first. Any vacancies being filled by the selection and appointment of suitable persons by the trustees. Trustee induction and training. The existing trustees are already familiar with the practical work of the company. Additionally, any new trustees are invited and encouraged to attend training sessions to familiarize themselves with the company and the context in which it operates including obligation of trustees and the operational framework for the company, including the memorandum and articles and future plans and objectives. Risk management. The trustees carry out continuous assessments to prioritize the company's risk and to strengthen our resilience. We have reviewed the general environment in which the company operates to identify any potential risks and to make arrangements to avoid such risks or mitigate their impact. We have worked to further develop the risk management system which included tightening controls on the computer systems. We continue to monitor the implementation of the disaster recovery plan and undertake checks where appropriate with the Criminal Records Bureau on all those working directly with children. The charity has a mortgage of about 3.8 million in respect to the purchase of the Granada Theatre Woolwich. Interest is payable on the mortgage at rates linked to base rate. To protect against its rises in base rate over the loan term, the charity has entered into a five-year interest rate swap agreement, which terminates in August 2016. Further details of the swap arrangements are set out in Note 14. Prevention and detection of fraud. The trustees have overall responsibility for ensuring that the charity has appropriate system of controls, safeguarding of the assets of the charity, and taking reasonable steps for the prevention detection of fraud by pro providing a reasonable assurance that the charity is operating efficiently and effectively. Its assets are safeguarded against unauthorized use or disposal. Proper records are maintained and financial information used within the charity or for the publication, for publication is reliable and that the charity complies with the relevant laws and regulations. Governance and internal control. The trustees meet regularly to review the finances and administration of the charity. The systems of internal control are designed to provide reasonable assurance against material misstatements or loss. They include an annual budget approved by the trustees, considerations by the trustees of financial results, 
variances from budgets and non-financial performance indicators, delegation of authority and segregation of duties, and the identification and management of issues of strategic and operational importance to the charity. Structure. The trustees are responsible for the overall running of the charity with focus on the following key areas. Strategy. Agreeing objectives and strategy for the charity and determining the principles and policies to meet the overall strategy. Finance. Setting guidelines for and agree the annual budget, deciding on appropriate financial monitoring procedures, authorizing signatories on bank accounts, agreeing borrowings and securities, authorizing signature of the annual accounts, ensuring adequate response and action is taken following the annual audit, agreeing investment strategy and parameters, and setting policies for reserves. All right, Pastor. Thank you. He still has more to read to you. I will demand every branch to start writing such reports. Do you know what I taught you the week? Pastor Tayo, reduce my own, can you reduce my audio? I asked for the track audio to be increased, not master. Pastor Tayo is an architect and he was a director of one of the biggest firms in the practice in housing in the country. Pastor uh, Adisa was uh, a manager in the one of the government departments. Now he, was, he just retired this year. Pastor Sidney was the paymaster for Lucian Council. He's a certified fraud examiner. Uh, Pastor Fumi is a fellow of uh, Institute of uh, Charles uh, um, accountant and was a direct finance director of one of the biggest housing corporations in the country. Now she's retired practicing. Now everybody that comprised or constitutes my administrators have skill. And I told you use members of the church who are committed, who are, you know, dedicated and who are skillful. That is the scripture. That is the scripture. When I read, when he read the report to us, you know, three, five years ago, I was an ignoramus, but now I'm a learned fellow. When I listened to him, I said, you should have gone to do law. (laughs) Because he wrote the report in accordance with the specification prescribed by the Charity Act. That report is in public hands. I have asked him to read it to you because you can go to the, to the website of Charity Commission and read the report of any church. Okay. But I wanted you to understand why is life easy for me? Why is God giving me success? Why will this church grow with my absence? Why did I leave the church for two weeks and the church was doing fine? I didn't come back home to meet a destroyed church because I obey Christ. To obey Christ is to put all these things in place because Jesus did not die without handing over. Who will take over from you? If you have to die tonight, are you sure that you have people who can step into your shoes and run your church? 
if they do not have understanding of what you are doing and you have not communicated all to them like I taught you two days ago, they will now say, what are we going to do now? But if you have communicated to everybody and you have handed over to people so that there is nothing in the church that is a secret, everyone, you have your first tiers, which is the three disciples, you have your 12, you have your 120, your 72 and 120, and you have your congregation. Then, should you die, some people will just stand up and say that, don't worry church, you know, we are cool. One apostle was alive, this is the structure he had, he had you know, established, and you all know it. That is what you had from the apostle, you know, in the book of Acts chapter 1, when they, when they filled the space of Judas. It's not going to be that there's a vision apostle is doing or is running into and nobody knows it. No, there are people who are already equipped about that, informed, fully informed, running with that vision. Then you can go to God and he can say, you are welcome. You have done good. If you think you postpone that to tomorrow, the tomorrow may not come. For death does not warn anybody. Now, you will see also in that report that he spoke about insurance. You cannot run a church without insurance. If somebody trip over and sue CFT, we are insured. Alright? You cannot put yourself in debt. A Christian who does not have comprehensive insurance over his car is just jeopardizing himself because Satan can easily hit you on that. He knows that it's a total loss. I would get it now. Health insurance. Get it. I know there is divine healing, but sometimes your body refuses divine healing and is sick. Basic things that you need to put in place in life, you must put it. If they carry our equipment from here to anywhere in UK, that equipment is insured. If you don't insure, they were coming to, to, to PVM conference uh, two years ago or last year, and the car had accident, the vehicle had accident, and the, the equipment got spoiled. When they called me, I told them, then, don't worry, don't worry, you, you know, just take your coup. Call the insurance, the insurance gave them vehicle, and then the insurance paid everything and replaced it. A pastor is a general magician. And pastoring is not for lazy people. Let me read through to you, therefore, your, this I'm pointing out to all the pastors, we haven't given you this before, but now that I have a little bit of, uh, um, they call it common sense. That is the sense of a man, a reasonable man on, on Clapham Omnibus. <laughs> These are the things that we... Um, yes. Ministerial induction. Duties and obligations of a resident pastor or a resident minister. Number one. A pastor stroke a minister has a duty of care, skill, and diligence to the church. I'll give you this in print. Number two, a pastor stroke a minister has fiduciary duty to the church and to her members. And number three, a pastor and a minister must not have conflict of interest. All right. Those three principal duty of care apply to pastors. They are part of duty of care of a director of an organization. But how does that interpret to you as a pastor? Number one, the duty of cares includes duty 
to conduct the, and coordinate all services in his or her parish. Number two, duty to oversee every program and activity in the parish. Duty to oversee and manage the church office and staff of his parish. Duty to oversee the offering collection, counting, and banking. Duty to be judicious in the management and spending of church funds. Number six, duty to ensure that all monies spent and accounts comply with the requirement of our financial regulation and the law of his country. Number seven, duty to ensure that all invoices are attached with the appropriate approved requisition forms. Duty number eight, duty to hold a meeting once in a month with his leadership to report, train, to report, to train, and plan for the next month. Number nine, you have duty to care for the spiritual, mental, social well-being of his members through various programs in line with the ministerial manual. And we'll talk about Mr. Mario tomorrow, how to conduct all these Christian rituals. Number 10, duty to fill the ministerial reports form and send them to headquarters monthly. Number 11, duty to comply with the legal requirements of the nation wherein the church is situated. And the last duty, number 12, is duty to respect all members of the church duly. These three areas of duties interpret practically into these subcategories of attention. So that the three areas may look like some jargon, but the explanation is very, very clear. What about if a pastor does that? Your tomorrow is bright. There is nothing I found easy in life as ministering the word of God. Nothing. And seeing the results. Nothing. Now, duty is an obligation of an associate pastor and minister. The associate pastor or minister associates has a duty to cooperate with, support, and submit to the instruction of the resident pastor in ensuring that obligations as stipulated above is achieved. So in this area, the pastor looks like the primary trustee while the associate looks like the secondary. And the associate may not be pastor, he may be a deacon, he may be an elder. Because not every church is mature enough for associate pastors as they grow into it. So this applies to anybody who is in assisting capacity. All pastors must accept without a, any reservation the statement of faith of Christ with tabernacle. Any deviation from this will be com- consequential to denying the faith, which will lead to excommunication and summary dismissal. This one on this script, all pastors will have it, they will sign it. They will have a copy and a copy within the headquarters. A minister or pastor must serve with undivided interest and use his prerogative within the boundaries of the scriptures and in compliance with the ministerial manual and statement of faith in executing his or her hard duty. The duties to conduct and coordinate all services in her parish, draw, draw the program, appoint a, a, a participant, 
And then I wrote down details of those duties that have been, the 12 duties that have been mentioned, just to help you understand the areas of application. Now, I want to go quickly to something because we have about 10 minutes. Rules of engagement of a pastor. Number one, rule number one, be that an example. First, no, the book of Titus 2, verse 7 to 8. It says, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. And soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Don't go to the pulpit to be replying people. If anybody misbehaves, you are the head, you are the father. Call him and sit him down face to face and ask him, why did you do that? The day you have a member that you cannot confront and talk to face to face, no matter what the age is, that day you lost your head. Understand, you will pastor people who are very younger than you. You will pastor people who could be your father. Alright? If you have an earthly father and your earthly father made a mistake, you will correct your earthly father. But with the respect and the honor of elderly. The same thing you do to the elders in the church. And when it's a young person too, you correct them. Not by lording over them. Because the intention of correction is to bring someone to penitence, repentance. That is the reason for correction. Understand this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. I gave you Titus 2, 7 to 8. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works or good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So one is being an example. The other one is let your light shine. Then, <clears throat> pastors should be actively involved in all conventions all pastors ordained. Even if he or is not a speaker, it is necessary that pastors make sure that all conventions are successful by working with delighted members. Pastors must participate fully in the youth convention and minister to them each day while engaged, engaging the youth to run it. This is where you know your leaders for tomorrow. You know, sometimes pastors always think that youth meeting, you know, is for the youth. You are the youth yourself. There's no such a thing as youth meeting. Youth meeting, you allow the youth to come back, come to you with their, their innovations. It's like saying that, you know, uh, ushers want to have vigil. You won't give them program. They will do their program and bring it to you. And you approve it. So youth meeting, you have a youth leader and you have youth committee and all stuff. Let them do the same thing because they are the future of your, of your, of your core. But then, when it comes to ministering, they have no power. Nobody has power to invite guest minister under you as the, lead, as the resident pastor. Everybody to be invited must be you. And if the youth are bringing in some skilled people, yes, they can. But with your approval. Because you don't want a, a person who is not of right spirit to come to your pulpit. You want to investigate that person and make sure that that person has integrity and is the right person. All right. But when it comes into the program, maybe Monday they have one program to do like, um, you know, a talk show. 
you must be the chairman of the talk show. While they are doing it at the end of it, you must now give them direction. I will together now. So you do not you do not think you are excluded from the youth, you are part of the youth. That is what it is. It was in that in the youth meeting I I scout for those who have calling and who have matured. And I use them, even at their youth age. And my youth are proud of me because I will not think, I will not uh, <clears throat> isolate myself from them. You know, they are doing meeting, I'm doing meeting. It's church meeting, it's not a, a, a you know, one person's meeting. So that is because you must be an example. Yes. And of course, all the conventions, you convention, any convention, you must play a good role. Both associate pastors and resident pastor. Pastors must be humble, reverent, and respectful. We are looked at that. Now, <clears throat> I have just five more minutes. I think I need to teach you about what they call critical thinking. If you look at all what I've been teaching you, you will discover that there are some processes that your life will be going through, your thinking has been going through. And there are some things that you have learned during this week, which when you go home, you go back to the drawing board to rethink and to restructure. You look, yeah, reinvent. You look at the things you have done strongly, the success you have achieved, things you have not done, that you now start to do things that you have ignored, which you could do. Now you continue to do it. Now, for a man to be successful in life, in anything, he must be a critical thinker. Write that down. In anything. I will just read this to you, write it down if you want to, but I'll give you the print. What does critical thinking involve? When you hear that people are successful in anything, that is because they are critical thinkers. The first thing about a critical thinker is that it is searching for hidden assumptions. When you look into, into situations, you want to look behind the veil to search for things behind it. If you, this is the way we operate to really take the word of God. We read the word of God, we want to look behind the veil, haven't known the facts. If we don't understand the spirit of the facts, we will not be able to communicate the truth. Second thing about critical thinking is justifying your own assumptions. After you are searched for hidden assumptions, then you will now come with assumptions that, yeah, now I understand. I, I intend to do this. I assume this is this and this I'm going to do. And you must be able to justify what you intend to do. I will want to do this, but why? I will do it because. And then what will that achieve? And when I do it, I will achieve it's just similar to what I taught you about governance. Setting core values to seeing that you are, what you are doing is towards the purpose, you know, so that you don't waste energy and strength and exhaust your money over what will not give you results. Number three, a critical thinker. Judging the rationality of those assumptions. When you have an assumption which will give you a decision Weigh it very well, whether the application will justify, you know, you know, your end. Don't act 
and then regret. Regret first before you act. So that your action is not regrettable. That you criticize what you are intending to do. I will together now. The last thing is that test the accuracy of those assumptions. Those are the four processes of critical thinking. Now, in critical reasoning, okay, you must not be a fault finder. That is the don'ts. A critical thinker is not a fault finder. I told you before, when people misbehave, how am I able to be at peace with all persons? They misbehave, I separate the man from the conduct. I love the man, I hate the conduct. So how do we, how do we marry this? Like my relationship with the man continues. That conduct, I don't condone it. But I still love the man. The man, what I do, what my obligation is to the man, will not be stopped because of his conduct. Because what I'm doing to that man as my obligation is from God. And I will report to God for what I'm doing. So it will not be that I'm helping somebody now he misbehaves. I, I just pull all the buttons, pull all the plugs. I'm not going to help him anymore. It's God who puts you in a place to help somebody else. He will have created you to be the one they are helping. I didn't make you to help him because he was well behaved. God knows who he is. I would mean now. This is critical thinking. You are not looking for faults. Even when, when people have done blunders, you are looking for result out of blunder. Not for the fault. Understand the fault, of course. To know what triggered the fault and what lesson is to be learned in the fault. Rather than finding fault to validate people. A critical thinker don't do that. If Jesus did that, it, Peter would not be part of those who would be on Pentecost. He denied him to his face. And yet, when Jesus came, he appointed him to help everybody. Alright? How about Jesus warned him that, look, you are going to deny me. And he argued and swore <coughs> by thunder and fire. He denied Jesus, right? <laughs> at the third time, Jesus looked at him at the back and said, it has happened, I told you, I can't feel it. Oh, he went and cried. And Jesus didn't say that it's a crocodile tears. Say some people say that. It's a crocodile tears. Have you seen crocodile cry before? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. And everywhere in the whole world, they have crocodile tears. <laughs> Hallelujah. Either I call it crocodile tears or, or maluk tears. Don't find fault in people. But judgment should be based on three things. Don't find fault in people. But when you judge people, you should base it on one observation. Base your judgment on observing things yourself. Number two, investigation of things. And number three, consideration. You base judgment on observation, investigation, and thorough consideration. So you do not find fault in people. While you can judge what people have done, but observe what have they done. Investigate. How did it come about? Consider it. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe if the situation did not occur, he would not have gone that way. So therefore, we're going to see what we have. 
Critical reasoning is something defined as a skill or cluster of skills <clears throat> which involves reasoning logically, number one, the ability to locate and understand assumptions, analytic and argumentative skills. In terms of approaches to study, that is, if you are a critical thinker and you want to approach, apply critical thinking into studies, to reading your Bible or academics, you can apply it to being curious, that's curiosity, flexibility, and being skeptical. If you apply this in the studies, you you glide in studies. Curiosity, being curious, being flexible, and being skeptical. You know, <clears throat> I will tell you something. I was talking to one of my classmates, we did LLB together. He's also doing his LLM now in Oxford Brooks. And when we were discussing uh, LLM, he said to me, he said, Apostle, you know, when we were doing LLB, we were playing. <laughs> I said to him, Brian James, that's very true. He says, now that we are doing our LLM, now we are really start reading. <laughs> I said, yes. You know, because both of us are old. We went to school just to go and relax. That's why I went to study law. <laughs> but this is the issue. When I enrolled in my studies for LLM, my postgraduate in law, for the first one week, we were taught about critical reasoning, critical thinking. And I said that if I have an opportunity to talk to my previous university or any university, I will compel all students that they bring from secondary school into university to be first taught on critical reasoning. When they finished teaching us, then they gave us a lot of, you know, case studies. Then in critical thinking and reasoning, all these things they taught us, we now looked at some decisions of judges which we have studied in LLB. Now we're not told to criticize the judges. Judges are always right. They taught us the five dimensions of reasoning of judges and no judge under heaven can apply any reasoning apart from those five. And they told us the origin of those reasoning and in studying that is from the Bible. The law of philosophy was propounded by Unitarians who are Christians. The positivism and natural law. And I began to sit back to reread Bible. And you in church will recognize that something shifted. My teaching was deep before, but now it is even, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Because now I apply these things. Jesus, this thing came from the teachings of Jesus Christ, all these philosophers. So now, because I was trained in this reasoning now, my scores have been within 7 to 85%. With all the duties I'm having in church. I was telling you, yesterday I had to submit a project today, uh, yesterday night. Yesterday during my teaching, I went in 
in, in, when you have a break, I went into that room and I, I plugged into my, my, my classmates, read what the Russian one wrote, read what the Chinese one wrote, read what the American ones wrote, read my lecturer's comments. Now he, he made, you know, he, he, he made allusion to a particular case law in British Columbia. I had to go into British Columbia website, download the case law, read the case law, study the case law, because I have to answer the question about that case law. Why that case law, the decision of the judges there, why did the judges decide that way? And I was teaching you. And I was studying to also teach you. When I finished all that yesterday, then I had to go home now to do my, my project, to finish this module. Now let me say this. When I got home, I, hit, I told mommy, I'm not talking to anybody. For a minute, I'm not husband. Just take me as your son. <laughs> I hit the bed. <laughs> Alright? Slept two hours. After two hours, because at that time, my head is not receiving book anymore. He won't sleep. I gave him the sleep. Two hours, I, I, I put the alarm. Alarm rang, you know, you don't want to get up anyway. Eh? And then I didn't want to get up, but I want to get up. Then I have to now apply critical thinking. If I do not get up at this time, I will critically not attain the heights that I want. Because already I'm in 68 to 69, and I want to push my mark into 72 or 75. And I can by dealing with this very thoroughly. If I submitted it, I will get 69. Just as it is. But I want to push it beyond. So, I got up. Headache, body retirement and stuff. The moment I got up and I ran down the stairs, every weakness disappeared. And I did it at 7 a.m. today. Submitted it. I'm here with you, not sleeping. You see, what I've given you, I want to go home and I will give you something tomorrow, a website tomorrow. You can download various, uh, you know, uh, um, intellectuals about critical, critical, you know, thinking. It's, it's an emerging developing area, you know, that they are teaching much. But it is for the church because it all came from the Bible. Did the Bible not say I can do all things? Through who? That's where we're going to stop. I'm sure you have been blessed by this little discussion. This is coming to you from Christ with Tabernacle Cathedral. We are enjoying God so much, and I'm so so I'm sure same with you. By the grace of God, we will be here tomorrow. Of course, tonight we'll be looking into spiritual warfare and the ministry of angels. And tomorrow we'll be ha- we are having the privilege of receiving the ministry of Dr. Ceci Stewart, who is arriving just around now from the airport. He will be with us in the morning to take Christian leadership, and I also will be taking uh, further on the conflict and conflict resolution in church operation. Until the next time we come across your path. Thank you and remain blessed. Thank you, ministers of God.
Heavens, get ready to come and celebrate with us. Christ Faith Tabernacle International Churches invite you to our exciting 26-year anniversary celebration. From Monday the 29th of February to Sunday the 6th of March. I see a time of restoration. I see a time of lifting up. I see a time of hope that has been defined coming to fulfillment. Join Apostle Alfred Williams for a week of open heavens with life-changing practical ministry weekday mornings from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Powerful anointing and impactful ministration weekday evenings from 7 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. And special Thanksgiving service on Sunday the 6th of March at 10 p.m. The venue is... Tabernacle Cathedral, Ebenezer Building, 186 Power Street, Woolwich, SCA. Come and celebrate with us at the Christ Faith Tabernacle 26 year anniversary.